It's an incredible privilege to be a parent. I remember when my wife pulled out this little pink stick and said, Michael, I was asleep at the time and I woke up and my life was forever changed with that little pregnancy test. And I, you know, I instantly was awake, terror beating in my heart. And as I said in the past, that's why God gives nine months of pregnancy so the guy can get his head around the fact that he's going to be a father. He needs nine months to do that. And then you go to the hospital, and after all the shouting and screaming is done, you hold your baby for the first time, and that's my dad holding me. And I figured I wouldn't embarrass Caden without embarrassing myself. So I put a picture of me holding Caden, and he was just the first day that he was born. That's right before I, I dropped him. But it was holding him there. And you look at that. It's an incredible privilege to hold your child. Now, if you're not a father here today, I'm, or, or a mother, and you've held a child for the first time, this message is still for you today. But I want you to put in your mind and think back about great times of responsibility. And you look at, it, you, you look at this child and you begin to make promises. And maybe you're like me, like I was talking to Caden, very first time I talked with him. Tammy had a C-section, so they were cleaning her up, and I was in the room by myself with this little naked baby in front of me. And I say, hi, Caden, I'm your dad. That's all you have to, I mean, what, what profound words to say. And then you begin to make promises. I promise to take care of you. I promise that I'll, I'll provide for you. I promise that I'll teach you how to do various things because I'm your dad. And you look at that, you think of the, the privilege that it is to be a, a father and the emotions involved in that, in that exchange. And not only physically providing for our families is important, but I also believe it's critically important to make it a priority, I'm going to use that key word, priority, to lead our families spiritually. The principle for today is this. My priority must be to pass on God's grace to the next generation. That should be and must be our priority. I must pass on God's grace to the next generation. God's grace is simply, to use the word grace as a, as a working definition for us, is simply God's favor upon the undeserving. We do not deserve God's love. We do not deserve God's care. And as a result, we have offered to us God's wonderful grace that we do not deserve. This morning, I have two points for you. They're on the screen for you. It says this. The two points is to experience God's grace personally and second, to share God's grace publicly. Those are the two points we're going to work through. And what we're going to look at is the life of the nation of Israel, particularly their leader at the time, which was a man named Joshua, to put you into the perspective of where they are at this time. Israel had been promised through their patriarch Abraham, God spoke to him and said, Abraham, go to a land I will show you. I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and through you the whole earth will be blessed. Abraham had sons, and God did, this, uh, did the same thing with the son, and then the grandson, and the great-grandson, and then they ended up in Egypt for four, over 400 years, and they were slaves in, in Egypt. 
God miraculously brought them out. You know about Moses. If you don't know about that, read in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, it talks about God bringing Israel out of Egypt. And through that course of time, those 40 years, God provided for them during that period of time. He gave them food. He gave them water. He gave them the ability, and this is kind of sad for some of you who like to go shopping, the clothes never wore out over the course of 40 years. They just kept lasting and lasting and lasting. And God provided for them every step of the way. And then we come to the book of Joshua. Israel's been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, waiting for God's permission to go into the promised land because Israel had not believed correctly, so God made that entire generation to wonder. And then he was said, now is the time you can go into the promised land, the land they described as flowing with milk and honey. It was, it was going to provide everything they ever needed. And today we're going to learn from the life of, of Joshua and learn as he, as the, the leader of the nation, the, the great responsibility and the priority to pass on God's grace, not just in his own relationship, in his own family, but ultimately to the nation around him. We as, a, we as a nation in Australia have some critical steps to, or we're being asked to take in the next several weeks. We must go back to the Word of God and find out what the Word of God teaches in order to make wise choices. And we must not just do it for ourselves, we must make it a priority to teach our children also. So they, in turn, can teach their children. So let's look at these two points this morning, and let's look at the life of, of Joshua and Israel. The first one is this. Experience God's grace personally. To experience God's grace personally. Have you ever read a book and you think that you know how to do something, and then when it actually comes time to do it, it becomes very, very different? You're like, this is not how it was in the book. Or I try to fix my car, and I read the manual, and it says you do this, this, and this, and it makes perfect sense. And then you open up your bonnet, and you look in the engine, you go, but it doesn't look the same. <laughs> it's not the same. What happened to it? I have an extra screw left over. Reading the book and then real-life experience doesn't always line up. So you see, you must know as an individual, every single person here, you must know what you believe, what you're for, what you're against, and why. In other words, what do you know? You must know why you do what you do. Last words are very powerful. My step-grandfather, who was really my grandfather growing up, he was in his late 80s, he was unwell, and I didn't know at the time, but this is the last time that he was ever going to speak to me. I left Australia and gone to the U.S. Um, to go to Bible college, and on my way through, I stopped in at my grandparents' house, and he sat me down in the, in the sofa in the, in the front lounge room and was imparting wisdom to me. And had I known it was the last time I was going to see him, I probably, I, honestly, I would have paid better attention. But what he was challenging me as was to be a godly man, 
to be a man that put God first in my family, in my relationship, and as a, as a man that was going to go to Bible college and ultimately to, to study ministry, to study hard because the responsibility was great. I didn't know that was the last words he was going to tell me. He died a, a few months later. Last words are very, very important. In Joshua chapter number 23, Joshua chapter 23, we have Joshua at the end of his life. He's an old man. Another passage in the Bible tells us he's 110 years old. And he's gathered all of Israel around him and all the leaders around him, and he's giving them some final instruction, like some last words. Pay attention now, Israel, because this is for you, he's telling them. And he says there in verses 2 and 14, Joshua summoned all Israel and its, and its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And verse 14 says, I am now about to go the way of the earth. That's an old way of saying, I'm about to die. Listen up. And he gives them a warning. In, verse, in chapter 23, in verse number 16, he gives them a warning of Israel. You see, as a nation, they've gone into the land, the promised land. God miraculously um, provided for them. They won battles that they should not have won. He gave them insight into, into military strategy that they did not have other than the fact that God did through them. They went through and opened up the land. They didn't clear out the land completely of all the enemies. They left some enemies behind, which was continued to be a problem for them for generations and generations to come. But they're now in the land. They're in their promised land. Their grandparents and their parents before them were slaves in Egypt, and now they are free people having their own land in this beautiful country flowing with milk and honey. They call it the promised land. But Joshua gives them a warning. If they don't follow after God, something bad is going to happen to them. He gives them this warning, verse 16. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land he has given you. After living in the wilderness for 40 years, after going through and clearing out this land, the promised land, he says, don't forget where you came from and don't forget who brought you here and who is continuing to provide for you. Underneath this point of experiencing God's grace personally, we have a few, a few subpoints. We have, first of all, remember God's plan. It's critically important to you as an individual to remember what God has done for you. In the very beginning of the book of Joshua, we see God come to him, and he's a man who's been number two in charge for, for the last 40 years. Moses is a big, strong leader, and now we have God come to Joshua, and he says to this, verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, now right there, you stop and you think, Joshua now has to get up and go. 
he has to remember that God from the beginning had a plan for his life, a specific plan. And he says, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land I am giving them, into the people of Israel. God had a plan of protection for them. He was protecting them from the nations around them. He says, when you go into this land, earlier they describe it as filled with giants, not just big walled cities, but people that are physically really big people. And they said, we're going to need your protection, God. And God did everything he promised. In chapter 23 and verse 3, it says, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. God had a plan of protection. It's important for you as an individual before you teach somebody else, to stop for a moment and think to yourself, how has God protected you as an individual? We also have the blessings of God. God provided and promised blessings to Joshua. And as an individual, he certainly experienced them. In chapter 1, going back to the beginning of the book again, in verse number 9, God gives him a promise and says, Have not I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You think about the blessings of God and Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to be with us. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The Bible says the Holy Spirit sealed your salvation. He will not leave you. Isn't that encouraging to know that everywhere you go, as distant as you may feel from others, that God is always with you. Joshua needed to remember that plan. He had, as many Bible commentators suggest, a couple million people to to lead. There was a lot of people to lead. There was probably a lot of lonely times. He needed to remember that he was never alone, but God was with him every step of the way. We also not just remember God had a plan, but also to remember the past. A couple of weeks ago, and I received the kindest compliment I think I've ever received in my entire life. We have a mentoring program through our church with Tuart Forest Primary School. The school has invited us to come in and be part of um, some of the children's lives and be an encouragement to them and they choose children that just need extra support and extra care. And we invest an hour a week, and we go in there, and we spend some time with, with children. And about beginning of the term, I had a new mentor child that I had for the first time. This young boy is in my daughter Riley's class. All I did was play Uno with him. Frustratingly, he beat me 3-2 on the Uno games, which I, I don't let kids win. <laughs> And so he beat me, and we just had a good conversation, but you can tell that he had had some issues with class and issues with family. And later on, he went back and told his teacher, this is the greatest compliment I've ever got. He said, Riley is so lucky, she gets to go home with Michael every single night. And of course, you know, but the same time is, you look back and you remember your past And you remember how blessed we are to have God's presence with us. You stop for a moment and you remember what God has done for you in the past. 
how He's loved you and care for you. It's so easy to forget God's blessings. And the moment we have a difficulty, we stop and go, but what about the 50 other things that God has blessed us with? But we focus on the one area that we're still struggling with. We need to remember past successes. Joshua certainly encouraged Israel to do that. Back to chapter number 23 and verse number 14. The end of that verse, I have it underlined on the screen. It says, all have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Every single thing that God has told you he was going to do, he followed through with. Also, we need to remember what has God told you to do in the past? Is there something that God has prompted you to do that you're yet to be obedient on? Or is there something that God has prompted you to do that he hasn't stopped telling you to do? That's why I, I, I encourage that people come to church and then also the fact that they come back to church a second time. And because we see in the Scripture, the Bible, that Jesus Christ set up the local church. I'm glad you do this. I hope you read your Bible. I hope that you pray. I hope that you lead your family, and you, your uh, children, that you're honoring to your parents as, as the Bible challenges us to. Husbands, loving your wives. These past commands are not something we just go, yeah, but I did that one time. Uh, I told you I loved you when I married you. That's not at all. We continually rehashing, remembering the commands of God. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, God challenges Joshua in the beginning of his public I guess, ministry, public leadership as the number one guy to go back to the law of God. Go back to the very word of God as his foundation. And he gives him a command with also a promise. He says this, verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law. Which is really tough sometimes because there are certain parts of the Bible that we like to ignore. But it says there to do all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. It says, do not turn from it from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. He says, follow the word of God, not just public opinion. It's hard to be a leader. It's hard to stand up to do what is right with our families. It's hard to do what is right at school and when we go to work. But here it's called to remember the past commands of God. In chapter 23, Moses go, sorry, Joshua goes back and rehashes that again in front of all of Israel. We also need to remember the past promises of God. The past promises of God in our lives are incredibly impactful. Because I know there's certain things in my own life personally, I'm sure you've had times in your life when you've had got down on your knees and said, God, I need to hear from you today. I need you to give me direction. Should, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to marry? Where do you want me to live? And God gives you that, those promises, and you read his word, and things jump out at you. I remember reading a passage in the Bible, in the book of Titus, chapter number 2, and verse number 13, when I was in Bible college in the U.S. And I remember reading that, and I looked up after reading and goes, did he write that for me? Is that, is that in the Bible just for me? It says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, was that passage. And it gave me a purpose for, for what I was doing at that particular time. And I even now look back on that and think, thank you, God, for your past promises. 
we also need we can find victory in God's plan. If it's truly a plan from God, we can find victory in his plan. If it's simply my idea, it may or may not, probably not, work out. But when we know it's God's plan, we can rest assured. Back to chapter number one again. In verse number eight, Moses is dead, but he's written the law of God. And he wrote it by the very word of God. And you know the Ten Commandments story? He carried the Ten Commandments down. And that was the law of God. But it wasn't just the Ten Commandments that he gave. It was the entire law of God that he had written out during those, that time with God. And he brought it back, and it says this, the, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. What Not being a part out of your mouth means you're t- constantly talking about it. You're constantly quoting it. Meditating on it is not some area where you let your mind go empty and go, um, for a long time. Meditating is, I like to use the word chew on it. You mull it over in your mind and you chew it kind of like a, a good biltong, right? You've got to chew it for a while to get all the flavor out. See, I'm, I'm relating to the South African friends we have. And you, you mull it over. You get the word of God into your mind and you chew on it for a while. That you may be careful to do according to all that is written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. If my parents were here, I would say this even if they were here. My parents were not perfect. And then in turn, my wife and I are not perfect. I know, that's no, no surprise to my children. And you look back and you look at the things that we've tried to do over the course of time. We've tried to teach what is right, but even this morning, I, I had a dad failure. We had, a, we had a tragedy in the house this morning. Six weeks ago was my daughter's birthday, and she got three crazy crabs six weeks ago. Two of them are still alive. One of them tragically passed away last night. I was busy with something else, and the, the, the dead crazy crab was literally shoved in my face. And I heard, get away from me. And I missed that moment. So I later on had to go back in comfort. little side note, it lived six weeks longer than I expected. And then, but you know, as a parent, we don't always get it right. We don't always tell them what is right. Here's a funny video to illustrate telling our kids the truth. We look like that! Yeah. And I did the talking! What? There is no such thing as liquor fluid. Don't videotape me! Did you ask for the bucket of steam too? Yes! I even told her, what is a bucket of steam? It's not funny. Did I look like an idiot. Okay? What did they say? I all of them were laughing at us! <laughs> he said, if your blinker's not working, you can try the bulb. And he said that through laughter! <laughs> It wasn't funny. I've never been so embarrassed in my life. And then he goes, you know, I think someone's trying to play an April Fool's joke on you. Did and you was show like, him the coupon? I was, like, I was like, no, we have a coupon. I even told him what I got, and then like, and that's I just why I didn't know what it was. Such thing as a bucket of steam. This dad had sent 
his two girls into the auto repair shop with instructions to pick up, they call blinker fluid, you know, indicator fluid, and also a bucket of steam. And they, he gave them a coupon to, to purchase that. So they went in there, and of course, they come out really, really embarrassed. And I would love to do that to my kids someday. <laughs> That's hilarious. But you, you look at it and you think to yourself, when I tell my kids something, yeah, I know I joke around. And you probably do too. But when it's serious things, when it's really the truth of the Word of God, I want my children to know that what I tell them is the truth. Because I've personally experienced it. Because I've known it in my heart. I've experienced the blessings of God in my life. Have you? You have. You've experienced God. Just stop for a moment and start counting the blessings of God. You stop and you think about your own relationship with God. Yeah, it's not, it's not perfect. But what are we supposed to share with our children? Today's Father's Day, so I'm going to challenge particularly the fathers that are here today. But really, this goes for all of us. In every aspect of our life, it's impossible for you to share something with someone else if you're going to live as a hypocrite. We must live what we know to be true. In Joshua chapter 23, verse 9, it says, For the Lord has driven out before you the great and the strong. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. Joshua was challenging the nation of Israel to go back and remember the past promises that God had given them. Remember the truth of the Word of God. And our second point this morning is to share God's grace publicly. So it's not just what I've experienced in myself, and that's good. My kids or my family will have to work this out for themselves. They'll have to come to the relationship with God by themselves. I believe it's our priority to share that publicly with our children especially and with our families. We have to share the truth. Going into the next chapter, Joshua chapter number 24, it continues on in the first 13 verses talking about the blessings of God and how God has protected them and brought them into the promised land. And then we have verses 14 and 15. And Joshua kind of changes gears a little bit. And rather than just retelling a story, he stops and makes it personal for them. And he makes it personal first and foremost in his own family's life. Verse 14, Now therefore, he says to the nation, Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And he makes a challenge to them. I can imagine this old man Joshua standing up and pointing a finger and asking the nation of Israel to choose. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. In other words, don't sit on the fence. Either you serve God or you don't. Whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And here's the last line of that verse 15, which if you're a father, this is a great verse to memorize. Because I believe it's a challenge for each and every one of us. But as for me and my house, what will we do? We will serve the Lord. I don't care what the rest of the nation does around me, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
And for that first generation, it worked. The nation of Israel, they, they said, yes, you are right. We've experienced the blessing of God ourselves. It says in verse number 21 of that same chapter. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. The nation of Israel promised to serve the Lord, and they did. They did serve the Lord for that generation. They were faithful to God. They did, as it says there, put away all the false gods of the surrounding nations and only focused on the one true God, the one that loved them, the one that cared for them, the one that gave them purpose in their lives and protection for not just for then, but for eternity in heaven with, with God one day. And they did that. And it was wonderful. They experienced the blessings of God during that generation. Give your Bible, flip over the book of Judges, chapter number 2. The book of Judges, chapter number 2, is the retelling of this story again, but with the rest of the story included. The end of that account, they did serve God. But then the next generation came along, and I believe that first generation failed to daily share God's grace. They experienced for themselves, they experienced for themselves, and with that, they said, we love God, we will serve God, but they failed in one area, to pass it on to the next generation. Let me read verses 7 and 8, and we'll skip down to verse number 10 of chapter 2. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work that the Lord had done in Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. Go down to verse number 10. And all the generations also were gathered to their fathers. In other words, that's an old way of saying that entire generation, they got old and they died too. And now we have a next generation. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. I believe that's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. When you have people that have personally experienced the blessings of God, they've seen God miraculously work in defeating entire nations and giving them the blessings of the promised land. They had seen the law of God for themselves. They had the tabernacle worship. They experienced that, and yet they failed to pass that on to the very next generation. As a parent, that's terrifying that a people with that much evidence and the love of God so evident in their lives can fail to pass it on. What about you and I today? We are surrounded by things that are immoral around us. Everything that we do, you can't turn on the TV, you can't open the newspaper without an opportunity to, to think immoral thoughts are put before your mind. My grandfather, on my dad's side, passed away before I was born. He was the very first Christian in my family. And even today, my children are the fourth generation past that. Every single day, that influence is there because of a man that came to know Christ as his Savior 
ended up becoming a pastor himself. Tammy's dad, my wife's dad, was the very first Christian in his family. Every single day, my family and my children are influenced by the legacy of something that was passed on from one generation to the next. I don't want it to end with me or with my children. I want it to go on and on and on and on and on in the future. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to just rehash this in your mind, and I want you to think this over with me in practical sense. When you get up in the morning, what does it look like? When you, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When you put the children to bed at night, what would it look like? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When you are at dinner time, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When you go to work, when you're in the middle of conflict, uh, when the good times and the bad times, when you have loss in your family, what will it look like? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What will it look like when you speak to and about your family? If we simply say, but as for me and my house, I know the circumstances are dire. I know that things are not the way they're supposed to be. But my resolve is that, but as for me and my house, I don't care what the other families are doing. We will serve the Lord. What will it look like in your family if you simply put that, that one simple half a little Bible verse into practice this week? What difference and change will it make in your family's life? This is my challenge for each and every one of us. I'll focus on the fathers for a few moments. As fathers, we have a tremendous responsibility. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Our principle again for today is, my priority must be to pass on God's grace to the next generation. I have three questions to ask you and then a challenge. And then I'm going to ask you to pray together as families. But here's the, the questions for you. First of all, have you experienced God's grace? Have you personally experienced for yourself? If you have yet to experience God's grace for yourself, there will be no greater privilege that I have today than to take the Word of God and to open it up and to show you out of the Bible how you can begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, how you can experience His grace. Come see me after the service. I would love to show you out of the Bible how to know Christ. Also, the second one is, is sharing God's grace a priority? Is it, is it a priority for you? Is it something you say, this is a priority. I want my children to know the truth and the love of God. I want to pass this on to the next generation. Let me challenge you to make that a priority. And the third question is, what can you begin today to share God's grace? Can you begin a new family tradition about the lunch table? About sharing God's grace? Sharing the blessings of God with your family? Maybe using as a time of devotion with your children. Or simply saying, I'm not going to miss the opportunities that God gives me to, to acknowledge when God does bless us. I'm not going to let those times pass by. I'm going to model what a good husband looks like before my son so that he will know what it looks like. And I want my daughter to see what a good husband looks like. That means I'm going to have to do a lot of work. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to have to, actually every day, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The final is the challenge. 
It's a, it's a simple challenge. It says, don't waste God's blessing and miss his plan by delaying your responsibility. The rest of the book of Judges is a back and forth, back and forth. Nation of Israel would not serve God. That God would say, fine, you go, you can live to your own devices. And then they would go and they'd go back to God for a little time. They go back and forth, back and forth. I don't want to see that for my family. I want to see, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Fathers, I'm going to hopefully not put you in an uncomfortable position. But I do want to challenge you today to do something. In a moment, we're going to stand and pray. I want you to gather around with your family. And I want you to pray quietly with, as families as, as I pray. And then we'll sing a closing song together. And simply pray this. This is my challenge to you. God, I want to commit to make it a priority that my family will hear how much you love them to experience the blessings of God, experience the grace of God in our family's life. And imagine what could happen during the next generation if we simply are faithful to what God has challenged us to do. Let's pray together.